Welcome to Random Badassery, all you little creative beasts This is the podcast dedicated to creativity and dissecting it like a beautiful little butterfly or maybe even a frog in science class. Uh, I'm Chad Hall, and uh, my co-host, as always, is Lam Wen. Hello. Hey, Lam, tell me something before we go any further. I've been wondering this. Is there a little subtlety to how you say that your last name that, you know, like as, as an American, I just say Wen? Or is there a subtlety there? Yeah, there's there's definitely a subtlety there. Um, it's a phoneme that the English language just doesn't have, which is a subtle ng roll with the back of the tongue. Um, I've tried to teach people how to say it. It's win, um, but it's 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 easy to it, when you hear it as an as an American, like it's tough to to really decipher what kind of noise my mouth is making. Um, so win is probably the closest the closest most people can get without a lot of practice. That's something I would like to learn. I will say, though, anyone who's done, uh, you know, um, choir work and sung in uh, either Latin or German has an easier time with it. I guess there are some in the German language that are similar, um, phoneme-wise. So um, a Germanic language speaker would probably have an easier time with it. That's like for me, when I was taking Spanish, uh, rolling the R's was difficult for me. I could never roll my R's. Hmm. I would make an R sound. Anyways, sidetrack at the beginning of the episode, thanks to me, (laughs) but important. It's important to say people's names correctly. Um, How are you doing, Lamb? I'm doing great. I've been, uh, you know, working pretty hard on on, on rebooting a bunch of my uh, um, artistic stuff and creative stuff as well, Um, not just for the sake of this podcast, but in general, but I find that the podcast kind of pushes me in that direction, so it's good. Um, Also been uh, pretty... Pretty impressed with how much how much more traction our podcast has been getting, been getting lately, too. I I know that you've been tracking that stuff pretty specifically on your side. So let's let's give some shout outs to people, man. Yeah. Um, so we had we had a couple people that are actually starting to interact with us, which is always like that's my favorite part is just hearing you know what we're, you and I are talking. It's always inspiring to us, but to hear um, what it's doing for other people or if it's doing anything for other people. And uh, on Twitter, we had uh, Edgar Saunders in Latvia. He's a musician and a writer. Um, he just sent over a little Twitter, uh, a little tweet on Twitter saying that uh, the Neil Gaiman episode was really inspiring for him. So, uh, hello, Edgar's. And, uh, and then on our subreddit, we had someone, obviously, I don't know if this is male or female because subreddit, I mean, uh, Reddit handles are just um, non-gender specific. Uh, Keycracker, as a writer, aspiring writer and blogger, and uh, also found a lot of motivation in, in in some of our episodes. And that's, I mean, in all honesty, for me, that's why I'm here. Yeah. I just want, and I think we're both on the same page on this. I mean, when are we not on the same page? Sure. Um, we just, I want you guys to go out there and make stuff, and if we can help in any way, that's what we want to do. That's why we're dissecting creativity. We want you guys to use it. I mean, that was the original intention of, uh, I mean, even before uh, when we were not in this format, uh, we were still doing, um, you know, productivity tools and things like that to help people get more productive. But obviously, given that both of us have lived such artistically swayed lives, um, it only made sense that we we dissected our our heroes and examined their creative processes. So I know for my intention and your intention, we've talked about this so many times, 
Uh, for us, if we can do anything to help any of you out there find new ways to create, then that's exactly why we're here. Um, and if we can motivate you to take the tools that we give you, whether it's through these in-between episodes where we actually give you tools or we give you the creative processes of some of our heroes, um, if you can combine them and mix them into a, a sweltering pot of awesomeness, um, then you know creativity comes out, and that's that's exactly what we want. And that's a good thing to point out right now, too, because we have so many new listeners thanks to the Overcast app. Um, thank you, Overcast. I, I wish I had the name of the developer that I could say his name right now or her name. Um, but thank you. Because of your recommend button for almost a little over a week, we were the number one podcast in the arts section, which was kind of mind-blowing because that put us over things that I respect, like fresh air. Yeah. Um, it's, it was incredible. I mean, we're still in the top 10, I think. Um, but for every one of you out there who's hit the recommend button in the Overcast app, thank you. You've um, given us exposure to a larger audience. And anybody who really loves us, we're going to probably mention this again at the end of the show, but if you take the four, four minutes it takes to go into iTunes and rate and review us, even if you only have like two minutes and you want to just give us a star review, that would help us dramatically. Um, but I don't want to harp on that too long because nobody loves hearing that. They really don't. Uh, just so stoked at how many listeners. I mean, we've we've tripled, at least. Yeah, it's amazing, actually. Um, I, I, it's humbling in a lot of ways, just because, you know, for you and I, I don't think for a long time it was never really about. <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't about the number of people who listened. We just wanted to. Whether it was one person or, or 20 people, we wanted to, to reach people and really make a difference in their creative lives. And, you know, the fact that we're now in the hundreds and in some case um, cracking the thousand mark with a couple of our episodes, I mean, that's that's almost overwhelming in a sense, and it's really humbling. Um, it gives Chad and I much stronger motivation to continue doing this and to continue providing you guys with, with the tools and motivation necessary to start creating things of your own. And in, And for all of you who are new listeners maybe only listen to the last episode maybe this is your first episode this is our in-between episode as lamb said this is our middle of the month episode this is where we kind of talk about what's going on in our creative lives how we're using the lessons that we've learned from our beginning of the month episodes um, any tools or trip tricks or techniques that we've figured out since the last time um, we did one of these episodes and then the the beginning of the month episodes are all um breakdown studies of one specific artist each month and actually this is a good time to announce our next episode is the wonderful the amazing the inspiring Frida Kahlo Ugh. so if you know who Frida Kahlo is shoot us over some stuff on the reddit or on uh, twitter or even send us a message on instagram uh, anything that you know about Frida Kahlo, anything cool about Frida Kahlo that you've seen that you want us to see, you don't want us to miss. And if you don't know who Frida Kahlo is, go check her out. It's F-R-I-D-A, second name, K-A-H-L-O, Frida Kahlo. Go check her out. Go look at her paintings. Be ready for the next episode. And, and just on that note, too, um, there will be a few people out there who... Um, wonder why she does nothing but self-portraits, research that part of her life and find out why. It is one of the saddest and most inspiring stories you'll ever hear. It is absolutely brutal. Yeah, I mean, the Frida Kahlo story is one of those stories where you cannot separate the life of the artist 
from the art that they created. The the two Absolutely. are intertwined inextricably. I mean, it, it's they're just bound together. Yeah. And for somebody who does self portraits themselves as their major artistic outlet, she's a huge inspiration for me. But we'll save the rest of that conversation for two weeks from now. <laughs> I feel like we're both ready to have it now, but yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I've been ready for the Frida Kahlo thing for a long time. It just... Uh. Okay, Lamb. So, uh, you said you had a lot of topics. I've got a lot of topics. Um, why don't you shoot us one? Um, I guess the the first one for me, I, I, for any of you who, who know me out there and for most of you who don't, um, my biggest form of self-expression uh, when it comes to my artistic life is photography, um, followed very closely by writing. Um, and so for me, I wanted to talk a little bit about photography, um, which will segue into another part of a conversation that Chad and I have been meaning to have about what you do with your art once you've created it. Um, so for me, I, I've been looking for new tools to be able to organize and edit photos on my phone. Um, so I can do it with a mobile device and I don't have to carry a, a laptop around with me uh, to the various locations that I go to shoot. Because I'm kind of going back to my roots. Um, you know, for a long time as a photographer, I did things that, that, that paid me money, like weddings and commercial shoots and stuff like that. But, you know, in the long run, um, I kind of fell back into to what I, I loved about photography. And for me, that's, that's photojournalism and street photography. So lately, I've been diving back into that um, and kind of compiling a set of tools um, that allow me to, to, to be able to shoot in almost any environment with a, the most minimal amount of equipment possible while still achieving my images. So that's where I was going to head. So without giving your secret sauce, as they would say, uh, there's some tools that you can recommend for uh, aspiring photographers or already successful photographers out there? I absolutely am willing to give up the secret sauce. Um, and that's the one thing that I want to be very clear about when it comes to, to the, the podcast itself is that I, I never really want to keep anything from you guys um, just because there's there's so many different ways. If you gave 50 people, photographers and non-photographers, a camera and had them shoot the exact same subject at the exact same time, I bet you you would still get 50 different pictures. Um, and so because of that, I, I don't really mind much sharing what I've got. Um, for the most part, I think it's a, an app that we've talked about before, um, but I'm using InLight, um, which is my, my, my kind of go-to um, editing app for most of my photography stuff. Um, on That's my with phone. an E, right? <clears throat> yeah, it's with an E. And that, they, although there is my quick and dirty app, which is Afterlight. Um, Afterlight is the app that I use if I need to do something very, very fast, just because the interface is much, much simpler. Uh, and Light is a much more powerful tool, but obviously given um, more powerful tools by nature are just more complicated. And they don't necessarily have to be, but this one is. Um, so that's the one that I, I'm currently using. Um, also... For anyone who's doing run-and-gun photography like me, it's really important to have a way to be able to transfer uh, your images directly to your device in real time. Um, so I highly recommend um, either getting an iFi card, uh, which is indispensable to me now. Um, I live and die by this iFi card. Um, but there are definitely pros and cons to it. Um, the pro is obviously you can have access to access to your images in real time, and I mean in real time. Um, the con is that it does kill battery life um, on your camera and your phone faster than it would normally drain. So for anyone who's looking to do that, I also suggest as secondary tools um, or accessories to have 
um, extra batteries for your camera as well as um, a Mophie um, or something like that, a backup battery for your phone as well. Um, once you start doing that and you can have the immediate gratification of seeing your pictures in real time, especially for those of you out there learning photography, you can get real-time feedback as to what you might be doing right or doing wrong. Um, I highly suggest that as a learning tool um, just as much as an archiving tool. Um, just so you can really get a sense of what you're shooting in any given environment and take the training wheels off. Um, given that you have access to real-time images now, um, shoot in full manual and see what your camera can do. You know, that's one of the things I learned when I was vlogging and carrying around a, a camera all the time. Always, always, always have batteries. Always have more <laughs> more batteries than you can possibly imagine. I mean, video burns through battery faster than anything. Uh I would I would have like three batteries on me at all times. You start to kind of look like, um, you know, you've got if you had what are those cargo pants, you could just yeah. fill those things with. That's what cargo pants were made for, probably photographers. Um, an app that I really love for I'm not the level of photography that Lamb is, but an app that I really love that I don't see anybody ever listing or ever talking about is RNI Films. And by the way, all of these things will be in the show notes, guys. Um, so. Don't worry about having to catch it while we're talking about it. You just check um, the notes afterwards. Um, but R&I Films, the reason I like that is I really like um, I like my my photos to take on the look of real film. Um, I don't want them to look... I, I like grain. I like um, the depth that film has. I don't, I don't want the super, um, super HD images. That's just... It's not my style. Um, and R&I Films is by far, of all the apps I use the most accurate to creating film. Um, it, it, it really makes it look like it was shot on film. Yeah, it's and fantastic. I've been using that app for a while too as well. It's incredible. And it, it was, I mean, it's made by people who developed film. So it goes to show that. And I can't remember the other one. There's another really good one that's made by um, a, a huge studio. Um, doesn't really matter because I can't remember right now. But um, any other tips or tricks, Lamb? Um, for photography specifically, um, I, I really do. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll both dive into writing at some point too as well. Um, but also, um, there are a couple of, of, of tools that I use for, um, proofing pur purposes when I'm shooting, um, you know, and I don't want to sit there and scroll through images with, uh, either clients or models or whatever it may be. Um, so I use another app called pick jointer, um, and lay them up in, in, you know, digital contact sheets that I can either show them on uh, my phone or my um, iPad. Um, another one that I also use for, for model shoots in particular is one called Facetune. Um, it allows me to do a lot of really, really cool dodging and burning, um, as well as smoothing and defocusing and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, some reshaping as well. Um, and it is an absolutely indispensable tool when you're, you're shooting with models. Um, you know, if you want to do touch-ups and cleanups on the fly and you don't want to sit down at a Mac six hours later, you can show your client in real time a rough edit that sometimes is actually pretty close to a final edit. So between Facetune and PicJointer, um, for anyone who's shooting on the fly and needs to show pictures um, in, in a neater package than just the, the images themselves, that's a great way to go. Yeah, I think that... There's there's a certain there for a while there was a certain school of photography that was like oh you know do everything in the camera and don't do anything afterwards but in reality that's never ever ever happened before things were digital 
people used to dodge and burn these terms that Lamb's using. Dodge and burn come from the dark room. Yeah. These, these were things that were done in film. So don't be afraid to get out there and get some apps that are going to help you. I mean, the difference between um, a image that's like 90%, especially when you're dealing with social media, if you're trying to put up images that are going to impact people and they're only going to be looking at it for a couple seconds, the difference between that 90% and that 98% image is the difference between a like and not a like, between um, making an impact or not. You know, if there's a blemish or there's a um, a wall socket in the background that's just distracting from your subject, if you can't go in and cut that out, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to harm your, your overall impression. Yeah, and that's obnoxious to me too um, when it comes to, to how people, like the, the quote-unquote purists when it comes to photography. Um, that's, that's, that's craziness um, because for me, I, I grew up, you know, I'm, I'm in my, my mid-30s now. So, you know, I grew up in a world where I was, I, I was, I learned on film, you know, I shot with an old Pentax K1000, which by the way is still one of the most indestructible cameras on the face of planet Earth. Um, so if you're looking to travel to India or a war zone with a, <clears throat> with a camera that will survive that environment, um, that's, that's, that's a good one to get. Um, but yeah, I, I've never in my life not edited my photos. Um, in the dark room, I would sit there with, with little tiny paintbrushes. I would dodge and burn. I would do all that kind of stuff all day. So for any of those people who are holding true, or holding true to the, the, the idea that digital, digital photography, because of its level of editing and, and power, um, is not inherently photography, um, I will say this. If you take a bad picture, it doesn't matter what you do to edit it. It's still going to be a bad picture. So for anyone out there, um, don't be afraid to use the digital camera as a tool. It just gives you more instant feedback and real-time access to, to tools that you wouldn't have had otherwise without you know, thousands of dollars worth of photography equipment and, and, and a ton of darkroom equipment. So you know, I, I don't buy any of that stuff. Um, I, I think the purists, when it comes to that kind of stuff, are kind of... I rarely find good photographers that are purists like that. Like, I'll put it that way. Most of the photographers that I know that are excellent photographers completely embrace the tools and understand that, you know, the technology is going to evolve. And, and because of that, the, 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 the art itself evolves with the technology. And there is nothing wrong with being able to take a picture, see it in real time, edit it, and give it to your client within 30 seconds of taking it. There's nothing wrong with that. And now, of course, there are people out there who overuse these tools um, to actually to the detriment of the image. I, and I think that this, this lesson applies to people who are just not photographers, but what you're creating is the most important thing. It's not the tools you use. It's not the tools that you don't use. It's not your purest ideals. It's what you make and what the outcome is and whether what you make reaches people. So if you overuse a tool and, you know, I look and I can see you've airbrushed every detail of it and it just has that over lustry shimmer you've compromised the image sure. and if you don't edit and i see things that are distracting me from the main impact of the image you didn't do enough work um so it's it's important to really find that middle ground but the most important lesson here is use what works for you yeah if it's if, if you're going to get out there and make stuff i don't care what anybody thinks you shouldn't care what anybody thinks. Make what's right. Make what fulfills you. And use whatever you have to use to get what you want. And, yeah, some, to, to, to echo that point, you know, some of the best pictures I've taken in the last two years have been on my iPhone. 
Um, considering how good the camera is now on the iPhone and the number of tools that you have for photography, uh, for manipulating the camera on the iPhone itself, um, you know, don't be afraid to use that as a serious photography tool, tool as well. You know, I know Apple was pushing that in their marketing campaigns for a while, but the camera in the iPhone is really that good. Um, you know, for one of our friends, um, Giovanni, who, who actually created the theme song for, for the, the podcast, uh, used his iPhone to shoot slow-mo and built an entire music video out of the footage that he got from his iPhone. And there's no way you would have been able to tell that that was shot on an iPhone. Um, it was edited on the iPhone too. Yeah, it was. It, it was completely edited, it was shot, edited, and and actually published from an iPhone. So that tells you that you know. And he did it to prove a point, and the point was pretty pretty astounding. Like that's 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 how that's how good the tools have gotten now, and that's how quick and easy the tools are to use. So you know, unlike unlike situations in the past where you wouldn't have the right equipment to produce a certain type of look, feel, or product. Um, these days, with how good the tools are, you have no excuse now. I, well, that's that's harsh. I shouldn't say that. You just have access to a world of tools that 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 up until this point in human history we haven't had. So you know, for all of you people out there who 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 feel like you need to have a five thousand dollar camera to produce something amazing, um, I challenge you to go out there and take your phone and produce something amazing. Because trust me, it's definitely possible. Well, I can tell you just from from doing videos. Even with this iPhone 7, which I have, by the way, like the phone that Geo used to do those videos was like a 5 or a 5S. It wasn't even, you know, he did it a few years ago. Yeah. Um, so it's not even the level that the cameras are now. But when I film a video, if I do it on my camera or I do it on my phone, you really can't tell the difference between the two. Like I've, I've gone back and forth because I can't decide which one I prefer using. And nobody's ever noticed the difference. As a matter of fact, because of the new iPhone 7, technically I, uh, I'm getting higher quality when I use my phone because it's shooting 4K, whereas my camera is only shooting 1080. Sure. So, and, and that's another thing, too, is to, going back to the ideology thing. Don't get caught up in ideologies. If they prevent you from creating, then they're an obstacle. So you need yeah. to cut them out. There's, there are no video purists out there that I know of. There's nobody out there saying that you shouldn't edit video digitally. I don't think anybody's saying that because nobody wants to go back to cutting with a razor blade. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, I mean the, the, technology is not something to be afraid of, and it's not going to – I think what happens – the reason you have these purists um, that get really upset about this stuff is they're afraid that they're going to be invaded, you know, they, that – I know how to do this, but now that this tool is there, everybody can do it. That makes me less important. It, it's just because somebody, did, like you said, just because somebody can do it doesn't mean they're good at it. And you know, you know what that really exposes to me? Because I remember um, back in the day, I worked in a camera store. And for a period of time, I was doing um, clinics on photography. And the one thing that that really exposes is if there's a photographer out there that's afraid of the tool, then that means they're a crappy photographer because they're coveting. Um, and if they're coveting a tool or if they're coveting their art, then they're not an artist that's worth worth. They're they're just bad artists in that sense because they take away the one thing that 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 in that that is so important about art, which we talk about endlessly, which is art is inherently generous. So that's number one. That's the first time we've said it this episode. Um, 
but but that's that's really important for for everyone out there you know for, for you know whenever i work with with photographers there's a reason why like i i enjoy working with photographers especially good photographers so much because we always end up learning from each other we always end up getting better somehow and in 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 being able to let go of your preconceived biases or 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 your your coveting of your art form in that sense you you can expand your your horizons so much more to what you can create. For example, over the last couple of years, I feel like the people I've learned most from uh, when it comes to photography are actually all my videography friends. You know, Matt, Brandon, those guys, they do interesting things with video that I can then transpose um, idea-wise over to photography. And, and it gives me a whole new world of, of, of shooting capabilities or, or ideas that I didn't have before. So it's not just about, about looking at photography and it's not just about you know, sharing your stuff with other photographers, but share with other artists and see what they can give you as well. Right. That reminds me of something. There's a book called um, Imagine. I can't remember what the subtitle is. Um, is actually, it was a, there was a huge controversy about this book, but it was, I think the, the author's name is Jonah Lehrer, L-E-H-R-E-R. It'll be in the show notes. Um, I think you can still find copies of this book. But basically what the controversy was is there was some quotes that he used in the book that maybe necessarily weren't real quotes that he might have um, glued some quotes together for some people or created his own words. Um, like one of them was a Bob Dylan quote that maybe Bob Dylan never said. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, the, the research on the book, as far as I can tell, like I read it before the, all that stuff came out. Um, it's, it's a spectacular book. It's about creativity and it doesn't deal just in artistic creativity. Um, it talks about creativity um, in inventions and things like that. And why I brought that up is what you said about sharing and how that enhances you. That's one of the big parts of this book. Um, he talks about uh, the company 3M. And I'll try to go through this story pretty quick but because you should read it in the book. It's way better. Um, 3M was – M in 3M stands for Minerals. It used to be a mineral mining company. It was like mineral mining and maybe Minnesota, Minnesota mineral mining. I can't remember. That was the 3M. Uh, and the, one of the first things that they kind of started getting out of that, like uh, just dealing in rocks and stuff like that, is they started making sandpaper. Same, they invented sandpaper. You know? um, and they were selling a lot of sandpaper to car shops. And this guy was going in. He was just a salesman. He wasn't an inventor. And he's watching these guys use the sandpaper on the cars, you know, to sand down the paint. And there's this this tape that they were using that had this adhesive that was just, it was destroying that, the job that these guys were doing. Because they would put down this tape, and because the adhesive on the tape was so strong, it would rip off some of the paint. So sometimes they had to start over. Um, so he came up with this idea of, well, what if you use like a weak adhesive? And that was like his goal. And he just started working really hard to create this weaker adhesive, this tape, which ended up becoming what we know as masking tape, um, mm. which is how 3M got out of that business and became, if you actually look up, 3M is one of the only companies in the world that doesn't have a core product. They make everything from tape to post-its to television screens to light bulbs. They won't make anything. And the reason for that is it's because they saw this guy, he created masking tape, and then over time he also invented scotch tape um, by mixing cellophane and that adhesive together. Um, and I think if I remember correctly, he may also be the guy who invented the post-it. Um, and he was just a salesman. 
But what they learned was that's where creativity, that, that was the important thing. They, they decided they're like, if somebody is making a product or if they're not making a product, if they're trying to develop something, let them do it. On company time, just let them do it. Um, if they're so obsessed with it that they don't want to stop, that means they're onto something. Let them make it. And so they, they started building that into the core ideology of this company. And to the point where they made it to where people work in a specific department, they can only work in that specific department for a certain amount of time. And then they put them somewhere completely different. that has nothing to do with what they were doing before because they believe that that cross-pollination of ideas is what makes great product. Oh, so like that's fascinating. I never knew that. That's incredible. That's how you, that's how you ended up with um, certain types of flat-screen TVs is because you had, they had these fairs where um, people would show their pet projects, what they were working on. By the way, Google does this stuff. Google got all of this, all of these ideas, the pet projects, the work, you can work on your pet projects for 20% of your work time. All of it they got from 3M. Um, but they had these fairs, and you had these electronics guys who were working on television electronics, and you had the guys that were working on tape talking. And then they realized, well, what if we put the chips on something that's similar to this tape? Boom, flat screen was born. Hmm. So this cross-pollination of ideas, it's, it's so important. Just because we're talking about photography right now, or we were, doesn't mean it doesn't apply to video. Doesn't mean it doesn't apply to writing. Doesn't mean that you're not going to learn something from all of these things mixing together. So expose yourself to wonderful things. Go out there, check out artists that aren't doing what you're doing. Mm. Yeah, that's not only that, but but lately um, I've been finding a lot of inspiration in science. Um, you know, one of my, my new roommate um, is is uh, employed at the tech museum, and so because of that, um, I've been diving through a lot of the the, the tech stuff. Um, and there, science and 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 creativity are are inherently hand in hand. Um, so for me, seeing the cool stuff that's coming out in the science world is pretty fascinating as well. Um, so you know, to to echo Chad's point, it's not just about looking at other artistic mediums. It's about just looking at the world in general and seeing, you know, the the, the inventions that that are being created. You know, the, the, we we think about, you know, one of our previous subjects, Isaac Asimov. Um, was was a science fiction writer that that had so many things that he he spoke about in his stories. You know, you look at Gene Roddenberry, you look at the, the you know uh, Ray Bradbury, you look at all of these science science fiction writers and how much actual science they inspired, and vice versa too as well. And you start to really see a synergy between between all of these 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 different completely different mediums, different uh, walks of life. I mean, people who have seemingly nothing to do with each other. Um, getting inspiration from each other and then building a better world out of that inspiration. Um, and I think that there's there's a lesson to be learned there. You know, it's not just about diving specifically into a certain type of medium. And don't get me wrong, that's good too. Um, for example, when Chad and I go deep into one of our artistic subjects, um, you know, I it's not that I throw blinders on, but I definitely notice them more than I notice other artists um, or art in general. Um, but you know, once once the dust settles and once I come up to take a breath, I feel like my eyes are now a little more open. My ears are now a little more open, and I'm 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 feeling and seeing the world with a, a level of openness and clarity um, that I wouldn't have otherwise if I hadn't dived so deeply into a certain artist, or if I hadn't, you know, researched this 
particular scientific discovery to the level that I did. And I think that there's, there's a magic to that. It's brain training. You know, it's, it's training your brain to, to, to see a bigger world, to, to, to ask better questions or ask bigger questions and then take the path that leads you down, um, you know, a, a certain set of avenues that you would have never thought to have gone down on your own. And one of the really important lessons to learn as well is when you guys are out there making things or you're experiencing things, enjoy them. Like, get lost in them. Don't, don't <laughs> feel like there's, you know, these, there's, there's this idea of, like, this stoic sense of, like, how you have to react to creativity and to art and all these things. The real purpose of making things, like, you know, on number two, creativity is inherently generous. But the yeah. reason for that generosity is because you're sharing joy, you're sharing beauty, you're sharing uh, trauma even, but there's a beauty in that sharing. There's, um, it, it's, it's, it's about creating something and bringing something into the world. And I mean, it really is, at, at its core, creating is about birth. What are you birthing into the world? And if you can't enjoy that process, I mean, then you're not really doing it for the right reason. So learn to enjoy it. Stop yourself in the middle of something and just say, if this isn't fun, I don't know what is. That's a little Kurt Vonnegut nod there. Huh, um, very nice. I will say that there's, there's a little bit that I want to add to that. Um, especially in, in, in my recent days, I've been doing a lot of... Um, I've been doing a lot of photography and writing that is kind of getting out some of my, my sadness and my frustration. So there's, there's a side of that too, as well, for anyone who's, who's, who's in the artistic world. It's sure it's, it's, it's great to enjoy it, but there's also a catharsis that comes from just getting it out as well. And you may not feel like you're enjoying it in the moment, but the relief and the satisfaction you feel after having done it is, is a stand is pretty astounding. If you, can force yourself to look past the sadness and, 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 and the pain in your life and just get it out somehow. Just get it out. And the purpose of that is it's, it's a transformative process. A lot of times um, people think that, you know, oh, art is therapy. You know, you, art can be therapy, but it's not its purpose. Uh, the reason that you express, um, and this is going to come up a lot, a lot in the Frida Kahlo episode when we get there. Oh, yeah. But the reason, the reason you do that is not just even to get it out it's because by putting it out that that's the first step right but by making it into art you're transforming something that was not joyful something that was horrible something that or something that just sucked um and you're you're transforming it in something bigger than that you're making it something even if it's not beautiful you know you can make ugly art um that will come up in the frida kahlo thing too she purposely made portraits of herself that were ugly. Yeah. Um, but what you're doing by sharing that with other people, you're making it bigger than you. And what you're doing for those people who see that and who interact with it is you're creating something beautiful because you're creating a human interaction. And it, you're, you're transforming people's lives, possibly. And that is taking something that was not good and channeling it into something that is good. And that, if, if that is not the purest form of art, I don't know what is, to be honest. Sure. I mean, we've, we've dove, we dove a little bit into what I'm doing. So let's, let's kind of go back on track here a little bit. So what are, what are you doing these days artistically? Uh, I've been doing, surprisingly, I went back and I started doing a few YouTubes, but I don't really, this sounds terrible, but I don't really feel like that's 
a creative thing for me. It's just kind of me talking to the camera. Um, I feel like more of the art of that is in the editing. Um, but I've been working on the novel a lot. I've been playing around with a lot of tools. Actually, I was that's some of the things I was going to talk about today. Definitely I had a lot of tools on the list today. So this would be a tool-rich episode. Um, but one thing that I found difficulty with writing um, a novel with the scope that's involved there. So without going too in-depth for this, for people who don't write specifically, I'll try to stay on a pretty shallow level here. But essentially, when you're writing, you have scenes, you know, you've got sections, um, you have chapters, you have however you divide the book into parts. Um, and there's notes on everything, right? So maybe there's a note on a specific scene, but then you have a note on this section. Um, you have a note on this chapter. Things that have to happen in those divisions, if you think of, all, uh, think of them all as folders, right? Well, when you start getting in, even when you're using a great tool like Scrivener, which allows you to put notes at all those levels, it's just really hard to see all of those notes all together um, to really get an overall, especially when you start getting to, you know, you have like 20 notes on this and 20 notes on that. It's a lot of stuff. Um, so you have a lot of writers out there who use index cards and uh, cork boards. And they'll put the uh, index cards up on the cork board just because sometimes for if you're a visual person, I'm a very visual person, you kind of want to see everything together. So you can, you know, maybe draw a line from this to this, move this over next to this. So you start working things out visually. And I, I don't really specifically have room for a cork board, so I wasn't sure how I was going to do this other than maybe I was going to put them on index cards and just put them on the carpet, which is a totally fine solution. And then I kind of stumbled across MiloNote. Um, M-I-L-A-N-O-T-E. I almost forgot how to spell it. Uh, <laughs> I, I forgot it in the part of the word that's like a normal word, note. Uh, <laughs> but um, a Milo Note is just basically, it's, it's a canvas where you can just move things like index cards on it, essentially. It's, it's created for more for graphic designers, but it works really good for my purposes. Um, I, just, I, I think it's important because it's backed up to the um, the cloud, so I don't have to carry around you know three thousand index cards with me to work on a work on the book somewhere. So I would still probably do stuff with index cards just because I like the physicality of it. Um, but having that as well is a great tool. So if you guys um, are visual, even if you're not writers, if you're a visual thinker, check out MiloNote. It's free. For now, I would think you have to, like, if you want a certain amount of notes more or something like that, you have to pay for the next level. I don't know. I haven't got to that point, so I wouldn't worry about it. Um, it's, they're new. It's, yeah, it's funny. You, you mentioned MiloNote because I found that, too, a couple of, uh, I'd say maybe like 10 days ago. And I've been starting to use it for project management for work. <laughs> so it's funny. We it's Two completely different purposes, but the tool the tool provides for both in that sense. Yeah, it's a it's a huge. I mean, it's just it's free form, so it's it's a brilliant idea. I mean, it's like the it's the free form version of Evernote, I guess, if you want to say that. Um, and since we're in the tool thing, uh, the other things that I find really important when I'm doing this is I have to if I'm gonna get through this book, the one thing that I always talk about. I talked about this in the in the show um, before we got into this creative format. Um, the episodes that we don't have up anymore. I used to talk about productivity apps all the time. You did as well. I 
I find it important to have everything else organized because if I don't have all that stuff organized, um, if I don't know that something is, is taken care of, then it's going to be in the back of my head and that gets in the way of me making something. Sure. Um, because you can't, you can only juggle so many balls at the same time, right? Excuse me. Um, so I talked about this with you, Lamb, a little bit, but uh, I've kind of been getting more into David Allen's getting things done. Mm-hmm. Or G- GTD system, if you um, prefer the abbreviated version. And I don't want to give too much of a rundown of what GTD is here, but I guess I could give a basic idea: is it's it's a it's a productivity system. It's not a, an app. Um, I don't really have, know how to explain this. It's an ideology, I guess, is the way to say it. Yeah, that sounds it's, about right. It's how to collect things and how to organize them in a way that's going to make you more productive. The whole point of, of his thing is, um, is it, I think the subtitle of the book is uh, stress-free productivity or something like anxiety-free productivity. I don't know. I don't have it memorized. Once again, not an informational podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, but his whole point is that there's a there's a cognitive load when you're carrying stuff around and when you're trying to balance all of these things. So get it into a trusted system. For him, when he created this, it was before computers are what they are now, before we had um, one in all of our pockets. So his original thing was using folders in a, in a drawer um, and putting things in the right folders. Uh, but basically, I've been really like, I haven't actually got into reading the book, which I, I do plan on reading probably this month. Um, but I've been taking a lot of the basic ideologies and trying to find an app that allowed me to do that in a way that uh, felt good for me. Because uh, I mentioned before I was using OmniFocus. Uh, OmniFocus is a really, really powerful tool. I have nothing bad to say about it. But, oh my God, if you don't know how to use it exactly the way it works, Ugh. it's it's. It, I mean, it's like it's like almost the level of complexity. Sometimes is learning to code or something. You're oh, like, I want. It's daunting. Yeah. <laughs> I, and and it it only works. It's not a free form thing of anything. It only works in specific ways, and it only does certain things. So in order to get something, get it to do something that it isn't supposed to do, you kind of have to create workarounds and all this stuff. And it just it got to be a bit of a headache. Um, and I know I've I've said that uh, Todoist is the place where most people should go. It still just doesn't work for me. Um, so I, I, I spent a little bit of time just playing around. I, I tried an app called uh, Nirvana GTD, which is kind of new. Um, and that is very GTD-based. A lot of people would say that it's probably the most purest GTD productivity app out there. Um, I couldn't stay with it just because it didn't have notifications or badges. Um and I don't really do notifications, you know, like tell me at this time to do this task. I hate that stuff. But I do need that badge. I need to wake up every day and look at that app and see that five. Oh, there's five things I have to do today. I need that constant reminder every time I look at my phone. So by them not having that feature, which is a pretty basic feature, I feel like, I had to move on from that. And so I moved to Things for a little bit. I played around with Things. I'm sure. Things, yeah. is, things is a wonderful app. It's got a great sync. Um, the problem I found with things though, was there's just, okay. So well, I don't want to get into this too granular, but basically you want to look when you have an app like this 
and you're doing what I'm talking about, you want to look what you have to do for the day. But then you also need at times to be able to click into something and see what's coming up for like the next week. You know, what's my week looking like? Sure. Um, and you can't do that in the Things app. You just literally can't. Like you go into, there's a scheduled folder. You go in there and it doesn't show you dates on anything. They're not, um, they're not sorted in order of what's due. So that I just, I couldn't stick with that. So I actually went back to the first productivity app that I have ever used. And that is uh, Wonderlist. And I've been using Wonderlist for the past few weeks. I created my own GTD system in there. It's working beautifully. I have zero complaints. And I think this is probably where I'm going to stay. Um, except, of course, for the fact that Wonderlist is owned by Microsoft. And there's a good chance that Wonderlist will disappear because they will probably swallow it up in Outlook. Oh, I didn't want to know that. Uh, I uh, okay, because I I'm on the same exact train as you. Um, I it, it we took different journeys to get there, but I'm also using Wonderlist now based on the conversation we had a week and a half ago, and so far I haven't really found anything that that is that deficient. I mean the interface is still a little too simple for me. Um, I I still want a little more power to do certain things, and I have a feeling that's just me having to spend more time with the app to figure out how to do it. But I did not want to know that they were owned by Microsoft. That's that's depressing because they definitely will be folded into something else sometime in the near future if that's the case. It's going to happen this year, actually. They're already working on something called Project Cheshire, um, which looks almost identical to Wonderlist. So there's a lot of speculation out there that, I mean, whatever they make is going to have, it's going to have the same functionality that Wonderlist does. I think maybe the Wonderlist name just might disappear. Um there's speculation that it might just disappear and become what's called Microsoft To Do. Um, there's other speculation that it might just become Outlook Tasks, um, or that maybe it'll keep the name Project Cheshire. There's also even a theory that for some reason, and not to go too much into business stuff, but here, but Microsoft does weird stuff, man. Uh, they have con they they create products that conflict with other products. So Project Cheshire might live alongside Wonderlist. They might both oh. exist. Um, they've done that before. They have uh, OneNote, but then they also have other note-taking apps like Plumbago, and uh, they have apps that compete with each other. I'm not sure if they're just so big that they don't even know that. <laughs> but anyways, uh, Wonderlist, is, it's great. It's simple. The, the, the one problem I have with, I, I'd love to hear some of your things, the only thing that I've seen so far that really bothers me is um, the repeating tasks. Uh, there's not a lot of flexibility in the repeating tasks. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's one of my huge my huge gripes as well. Um, because I, I I assume you have the same thing, like whether it's artistically or just logistically. I have a lot of tasks that repeat, um, and it feels like it, it feels like it's just not quite made to do that right. Um, you know, I can make lists and task lists and you know all that kind of stuff very easily. Um, but having having an app that essentially becomes my personal assistant and reminds me to do stuff in an intelligent way is not quite possible with Wonderlist the way I want it to be yet. Yeah, the problem the problem with their repeats for the, ever, anybody that's curious is so basically you can say you know I want this done on this day, I want this task to repeat every so many days, every so many weeks, every so many months, or so many years. It's a lot of options, but it's not. Exactly right. For example, like this podcast, we don't do it exactly every 
Uh, actually, we do now. Take it back. Um, before, <laughs> before we went, but we, but we just started that, so you, yeah. you, you've got a free pass on that. Before, what we basically we would um, when we were doing it only um, once a month, we didn't have a specific day that we were doing it. Now we do it on a specific day at a specific time. Um, but before we would, it was like within a three day range. Um, but it would always be around the first or the last of the month, usually. So I would, I would in in old systems, I would put record podcasts, and I would say the last day of the month. You know, so on February, in February, it would show up on the twenty eighth. In um, March, it would show up on the thirty first. Um, there's no option to do that in in this. So basically, what you have to do is set it for the first, and then. You know, the, the, which is fine. But when you're looking at something that's going to repeat every, there's certain tasks that I have that I have to do every other Tuesday or every second Tuesday and every fourth Tuesday. Well, in months that there are five Tuesdays, the whole every two weeks thing screws everything up. Yep. Because now I have it falling on the first, the first Tuesday after that month of five Tuesdays. Anyways, I'm going really in depth in this, but the repeat thing, it's a little bit of a problem. I have a feeling that whatever they come out with next, that's probably going to be one of the new features they added because when you go look at the boards of things requested, it's one of like the most top requested things on there. Um, but going back to tools, once again, I've made it work. It's not super important to have the right tool. It's more important to have the right system. Sure. And and that's that's one of the workarounds that I've really... Um, done to GTD out Wonderlist is when I'm working on something, you know, because the tags in Wonderlist leave a lot to be desired because they use hashtags. Um, and I'm not crazy about that because it just gets muddy. Um, so what I've been doing when I'm working on something, I start. So now when I go into the stars thing, I see things that I'm bigger projects that I'm working on that I'm in the middle of. Yeah. Um, so it's just learning how to tweak these systems to get what you want out of them. It's really important to find apps that work the way you work. But other than that, I'm I'm happy with Wonderless. I, I didn't know that you were on it too. That's awesome. Yeah, um, I I think I use it differently than you um, because I think you you are using it more long term than I am. Just because I haven't quite gotten over the 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 staggered repeating times thing yet. Because I have so many tasks that that fall literally exactly into the category that you're talking about uh, when it comes to the limitations of Wonderlist and how the repeating thing just doesn't quite work. I actually don't mind the hashtags, um, but the star thing definitely works for me. Um, I use it differently than you, I think, um, in that I, for me, it's a tiered system for me. Anything that's somewhat important, I hashtag, and anything that's really important, I star. Um, so, so yeah, I, I just dove back into it about, you know, seven, eight days ago. So, um, you know, I, I'm not that deep into it yet, but given how simple Wonderlist is, which I think is kind of um, its its most powerful attribute, um, the learning curve on Wonderlist is remarkably short. So if yeah. you literally spend half an hour in that app, you understand everything you need to understand about it. That's one of the beauties of that interface, to be honest. Um, one of the things, too, that I found really useful in one of the workarounds I've found for the scheduling repeating thing is um, just creating separate tasks um, in the sense that I need this to repeat uh, once, twice a month. Okay, well, if I do every two weeks, it messes things up. So instead, I created one task that shows up on the 1st and one task that shows up on the 15th. They're sure. two separate tasks. I get it every two weeks, 
but I get it on the days that I actually want it. So there's oh, certain interesting. workarounds. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't thought of that. That's a good idea, actually. And another tip that I would give to listeners out there, if you're going to use an app, any actually any to-do app for the most part, something that I've figured out really recently, if you use folders um, or projects, as they call it in Wonderlist, you, um, you use things like this, create one for repeating tasks and put all of your repeating tasks into that so that it's not in the way of all your other lists. You know, if you have a lot of repeating tasks, you don't, you don't need to look at those very often, right? You're not going in to say, okay, you just need to see them when they show up on the day that they show up, especially if you're putting chores in, you know, like um, take out the garbage. You don't, when you, when you go into your personal list, your personal project or whatever, however you group your tasks, you don't need to see that because it, it's going to show up on the day you need it to. You don't need to be thinking about it ahead of time. Sure. So keep, keep the new tasks separate from the repeating tasks. Um, it's just going to make it easier. So when you go into your ta actual task list and you don't see the repeating stuff, you just see the stuff that you need to focus on. Um, so that, that helps with scheduling too. You know, like I have these five things in here. Oh, let's, let's knock these out this week. Boom, boom, boom. Throw dates on those. Um, the repeating stuff, let them take care of themselves because they're already taken care of. That's the whole purpose of the system. Uh, creating a productivity system in an app is to take stuff off your mind. So once something is like taken care of, get it out of the inbox or get it out of the project, the active project list. That's another thing about productivity apps, uh, Wonderlist in particular, is that, you know, given how often you and I are diving through various um, productivity apps, I assume you more than me, um, I, I, I recommend that people spend an adequate amount of time uh, with them. And, and the reason why I say adequate amount of time and I just don't throw a, a time frame out there is because for everyone, adequate is a very different number. For some people, it's a week. For some people, it's five days. For some people, it's two months. But spend enough time to see if your brain can work the way that the app wants it to work and vice versa, um, just to, to make sure that you're not fighting the app itself. Because I feel like that's kind of the reason why neither of us use Todoist. Um, is because it doesn't quite work the way our brains do. Um, but the only way that we know that, and the only way, for example, that I know that I, I like Wonderlist the best out of all of the, the to-do uh, slash reminder apps that I've used um, is because I spent enough time with it. Um, I, I experimented with it, and I forced myself to exist in its ecosystem for a long enough period of time to see if my brain works that way. So it's not just enough to, to, to use them. Like, you know, I know, I know plenty of serial app downloaders who will download like 500 apps, try them for like 30 seconds and then just throw them away if they don't immediately get them, which don't get me wrong. There's, there's a value in that too. Like if a, an app isn't immediately understandable, then there's something wrong with the interface itself. But um, with productivity apps in particular, you got to give them enough time. Like the reason why I know Evernote won't completely ever work for me, for example, is because I used it long enough to understand that. Um, so for Wonderlist, I gave it a couple of days. And I feel like if I had only given it that first 30 or 40 minutes that most people do, I probably wouldn't have, have found ways to make it useful enough. But over the span of a few days, I started to figure out how the the logic of the app worked and then from there i was able to use it much more much more productively and that's applicable to all tools of any sort out there not just productivity apps take the time to get to know all your tools paintbrushes cameras um everything 
because there's an intimacy there with your tools. And if you can't create that, that intimacy, that rapport with your tools, you're going to be fighting. You don't want to fight against things when you're doing stuff. You want things that, that you're going to have a rapport there. You want, um, you want to be friends, let's say. <laughs> yeah, um, and and that's that's really it's it's great that you say that too because I know a lot of photographers who struggle with their their camera, um, and I know that seems that seems weirdly counterintuitive, but there are a lot of people who just really don't spend enough time experimenting with their tools. You know, for example, when I got my first digital camera, I remember a digital SLR to be to be more specific about it. Um, that first year, I had a DSLR. I shot 144,000 pictures. Um, and I, I made sure that I used the living crap out of it so that I could literally manipulate my camera in the dark, um, with my hands without ever having to look at the, the screen or, or any of the buttons. I wanted to know my tool so well that I could trust it like I would trust my fingers or a limb or, or my eyes or my ears. You never really have to think about your eyes looking at something. You just look. And I think that, um, understanding your artistic tools is just as important. And I think that that's a lot of what I've been going through recently is um, for any of you out there who listen to um, the podcasts uh, Back to Work or Cortex, both of them have been talking about this a little bit recently. But uh, auditing, you got to audit your life. And what I mean by that is you got to look at what you're doing, look at what you're using, look at how you're doing things, look at your systems, ask yourself, what do I need? How am I using this? And are the tools that I'm using the right tools? Um, a lot of times people get caught up um, with features, but they're caught up with features that they don't actually use. Um, I noticed like there was a huge time in productivity apps where everybody was, oh, I need location-based reminders, location-based reminders. Now, a few years later, I can tell you, I don't know a single person who actually uses location-based reminders. So that doesn't mean that there aren't people out there who do. My point here is know what you actually need and make sure that the tools that you get do the things you actually need, but don't worry about all the other stuff. If you're not going to use it, don't worry about it. The more dialed in an app can be, or the more dialed in a tool can be, the more specific a tool is for your specific needs, and the less fat and bloat that it has, the better it's going to be for you the way you're going to be able to use it the way that Lamb's talking about. Um, like for Wonderlist, I love the checkboxes. That's one of the problems I have with Todoist. It doesn't have checkboxes. You have to swipe, and that's yeah. not intuitive. it's not intuitive for me. Um, so knowing that, that that's how my brain works, I had to find something that did that. Sounds silly, but it's not silly. We're talking about your productivity. We're talking about your creativity. We're talking about your, your, your life. So finding the things that work for you the way that you need them to work, but also you working with them, that, that there's that uh, reciprocal relationship between you and your tools, it's very important. So you got to audit. Like I did that with my note-taking apps. You know, I've been, well, I talked in the last episode about Evernote, and I think that they're doing a lot of great things. And I, as a company, I, I have a lot of faith um, that they're going to be able to pull themselves out of the funk that they've had in the last year or two. Um, actually I have a Skype appointment with, um, one of the developers, one of the Evernote developers tomorrow. Um, they asked for some of my feedback on where they're going with the iOS app. Um, but I, the fact that they're reaching out to people like that, it, 
it says a lot about the thought that they're putting into their products. Yeah, um, it's pretty cool. How did you, was that just from the, uh, the amount of suggestions that you'd given them via Twitter? Uh, no, it's because I'm a beta, um, a beta tester. Oh, and then okay. just based on my comments and uh, in the forums, mm-hmm. possibly, I'm not sure. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they're listening. Maybe they listen to the show. I have no idea, to be honest. Um, but my point here is I, I've been using Evernote and I was, I was pretty happy, but I started auditing my system last week. Okay. What do I use this for? What do I use this for? And what I started realizing, and this is, this is what I think is really important for you guys to do. And this applies to creativity, um, everything to art, artistic endeavors of every shape, even down to your basic to do tasks and life is when you're auditing you got to look down and say, okay, what do I need to get done? How am I getting it done? And what is the specific need here? And what you're going to learn is when you're looking at these things, you're going to say, I need something that does this. I need something that does this. I need something that does this. And what you need to look at is after that is where are all the bumps? Where are all the snags? Where are all the problems? How can I streamline this? How can I streamline that? Because Putting all this work in, and this, this a lot of this comes from GTD and when you do reviews, um, but when you audit these things, by getting rid of doing the work to get rid of snags and finding the right tools and all of these things, what you're going to do when you have all of that stuff set is take all of this off your mind, and then it's gone, and you don't have to think about it anymore. And what I found when I was going through the note stuff was my problem with Evernote was I was using, and this has nothing to do with their development. I always, I think that the app gets blamed for bloat, but the bloat is not on the part of Evernote. I think a lot of the reason that people have problems with Evernote is because they use it for everything. And when you start using an app as a Swiss army knife, it becomes an obstacle. Um, In the sense that like, I would have a note, oh, I need to take a quick note. I would go to click the Evernote button or the, you know, not the button, but click the app. And I would, I would hesitate. And I, I finally, I asked myself, like, why do I hesitate from making a quick note in Evernote? And I realized it was because I didn't feel secure putting it in there because there was so much stuff in there of so many different types of things that there was a good chance that it was going to get lost. Yeah. That, that the, when you're using it, something for everything, you have no focus. And, and this goes back to tools, you know, like, Having something that only does one thing is actually really awesome. Sure. What's great? What's great about a paintbrush? It only does one thing, but it does it perfectly. There is no better way to paint than with a paintbrush. Paintbrush doesn't really do anything else unless you get really creative. It's like a camera too, you know. Like if you have a camera that only has like three or four functions on it, I bet you take really great photos with it if you've used it long enough. Sure. Because you. You know, like getting these, we, we, we have these, like this Swiss army mentality and it's just not, it's not functioning for, for most of us. So I took, like I was doing my journaling in, in Evernote and I took it out. I took the journaling out of Evernote. That was the first thing I did. And I put it into day one and you know what? Day one is amazing. And I can't believe that I was using anything else because when I go out through the day and I'm doing things, cause I, I take a journal of everything that I'm doing during the day, um, when I come home at like six o'clock at night 
it goes, by the way, you have stuff in your activity feed, and it'll show me all the places I've been throughout the day. And it saves those, it saves those, the metadata of the places I've been, the photos, places I took photos. So I can compile all that stuff, and then when I compile all that stuff into entries at the end of the night, I can write about what I was doing. Oh, I was here, I was doing this, this is what I was thinking, blah, blah, blah. And I couldn't do that in Evernote because that's not what Evernote's made to do. So if I find an app that's made to do that, now I have more functionality and less effort on my part. Um, oh, oh, man, can we, take, can we take just a moment to give the amazingness that is day one its due credit? <laughs> that's such a fantastic app. It's incredible. And they just made this update like last week that makes the uh, formatting and everything even more beautiful. I so. mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember discovering, I, I didn't give it a proper chance. This is actually a great example of what I was just talking about um, when it comes to giving an app enough of a chance. I remember I, I found day one about a year ago, um, and I really did not give it the amount of time that it needed in order for, for the interface or the style of the way that app worked to really sink in. And now that I've given it much more time and, and, and given it the... The, the real thorough going through that I should have initially, I'm discovering it to be probably by far the best journaling app I've ever seen. It's, it's, it's really incredible. If you guys do any sort of journaling, um, number one, it's, there's nothing wrong with doing it on paper. I still love doing journaling on paper. A lot of times what I do on paper, I copy into these apps um, just because there's, there's, there's a difference there. But if you're looking for something on your phone to do this, or even on the the, the Mac version, is great as well. Um, check out Day One. It's it's fantastic. It's a beautiful app, um, and it it's made by people who obviously use it the way that they the way that it's meant to be used. I mean, they they put a lot of thought in. Like, oh, what's what's good feature? Oh, it would be really cool if uh, this you could import your your foots. I mean, your foots, your steps. You know, from your, your from foots. your your foots, it's it's the morning, guys. Uh, <laughs> um, but they put a lot of thought into that. So that, and then uh, another thing I ended up doing, Lamb, was I went back to work, Flowey. Um, oh wow, really? Yeah, this is this is this is really funny. Work, Flowey is one of the most untalked about apps out there. And I would say this, I would not recommend it to anyone. Oh, man, um, it is one of the most complicated <laughs> programs in the history of mankind. It's, it's so, I mean it's, I mean, it's not really complicated. It's just, it requires a certain type of person to get it. Because it's just, it's a, it's a giant outline. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess complicated is the wrong way to put it. You know, you know what I like about Wonderlist and Day One um, compared to Workflowy? Workflowy is just so free form in, in a weird kind of way. Uh, it's, it's almost like the wrong kind of jazz to me, um, where it's just, there's, there's the potential for chaos around every corner because the structure isn't in, initially clear. Um, but I think I just freak out when I look at it. The reason I went back to Workflowy though was because, um, for those of you who don't know this, if you're a new listener, I take what's called commonplace notes. Um, it was, Commonplace book is, it's a long, long-standing tradition of taking notes on what you're reading. Um, obviously, when film came around, taking notes on films or whatever. 
It's just uh, taking notes on all the stuff that you're consuming uh, just because it's valuable stuff to you. The original the original reason people would do this was obviously because um, books were not always accessible to everyone at all times in the sense that, um, you know, 100 years ago, if you're traveling around this country and you run across uh, a copy of Moby Dick and you read it, you might never, ever see Moby Dick again. You might never run across that book again. Um, so taking notes into a commonplace book lets you take the knowledge that you pulled from that book with you. Um, so I do that. I do that obsessively. And I always, I end up searching them when I'm, when I'm writing, when I'm pulling stuff out, I'm pulling quotes, I'm pulling um, research out. The one problem I always had with every note-taking app, including Evernote, was, for example, if I'm taking notes on, we'll say Moby Dick, um, when I go into that note, if I have like more than three notes in there, this is really long. And searching through it to find the thing, the specific thing that I'm looking for, it takes me time. Um, so by workflowy being broken down into the outline format, when I search, their search is, is very unique in the sense that it only brings up the parts of the outline, but then it shows you the parents above that. This is very hard to explain to people who can't see it. Um, but we'll just say, like, if I have a a level that says Frida Kahlo, and then underneath that I say um, her journals, and then I have a note from her journals that is about um, the Black Angel of Death. Well, when I go into search workflowy, as opposed to anywhere else, so if, when I searched before, I would get the whole note. When I go into search workflowy, I'm going to see that note about the Black Angel of Death. But then above it, I'm going to see that it came from her journals, and then that comes from Frida Kahlo. So it gives me context to my note, and it only gives me the specific thing that I'm looking for, that one specific paragraph or that one specific line. So how for long, my... How long ahead. do you think it really took you to get very comfortable with Workflowy? I, it was immediately comfortable for me because I think in outlines. All, if you if you looked at my notebooks when I'm taking notes, they're all in outline format. Oh, that makes sense. Well, I I was that was not one of my strong suits during my my school and college years, so that would make sense as to why workflow doesn't quite work for me. Um, I get a little frustrated by by the structure of outline sometimes. I understand its usefulness. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, I, that that makes sense now. Here's what's funny though: when I write, I don't make outlines. I don't use outlines. That is strange. <laughs> It's I, I, I don't know. I, that's not my my brain doesn't work that way for that. But anyways, so that's that's basically I'm trying to think if there was anything else, any other apps that I switched to. Oh, you know, I just started taking all of like my, um, you know, you end up with receipts and stuff like that. Shazam. Um, you end up with the receipts and stuff like that that just. You've got it in Evernote, you know, like the receipt for the chair that you bought or for this other thing over there. You know, I bought this program. I need the license number, all that stuff in there. And I realized I'm like, why am I not just printing this stuff to PDF and sticking it in Dropbox or iCloud and just leaving it there until I need it? It doesn't need I'm not searching that stuff on a regular basis. So I cleared that stuff out. And what I ended up realizing when I started moving things into specific apps that Ever, my Evernote was empty. So, so what I just. Is your, what does your phone home screen look like these days? Uh, that's a good question since I can't look at it right now. 
because if I look at it, it's going to uh, end this call. <laughs> this app doesn't multitask. Never mind. recording that. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I, uh, Lamb and I will both put a picture of our home screen um, in in Dropbox and put links in the show notes. How's that? Sure. Or Actually, you know what? I, I screen cap it and I'll throw it on Instagram. Okay. Even better. Uh, by the way, guys, Instagram, the, the creativity is inherently generous. We, we have a post of that up there. Go, go on there. If you think somebody needs that message, tag them in the comments. Go look for that, that post and tag them in the comments. Um, once again, that's the whole point of the show is to get you guys to get out there and create, but we want you to uh, help other people too. So share this episode or any other episode that you've really liked. Um, Lamb, what, what, uh, you have anything in the app tool world, anything that you want to talk about? We've, we spent a lot of time in this area. Um, I think we pretty much covered it. I, I mean, you, you, the biggest one I wanted to talk about was Wonderlist. So, um, I think we went pretty full force into that. I think next now, what are you looking, looking at, listening to, watching, all that kind of stuff? The top of my list right now to talk about actually is one of those things. And it's something you and I are sharing right now that I've been dying for us to talk about, especially <laughs> on the show. Legion. Ugh. Oh, what a TV show. If you're not watching Legion, you are missing one of the great shows, I believe. What a well-crafted... I, very few shows have I ever seen where, where they, they stick to a certain time period without throwing in too many cliches um, or making it too kitschy. I think Legion does such a fantastic job of creating a believable world that doesn't break its own rules. And this, considering what Legion is about, that's pretty tough to do. Um, right. So, so the fact that they've somehow, I can't imagine what um, the writer's room looks like. You know, the number of things that they have as like, these are the conditions that this world exists in when we have to stick to these. But somehow, magically, they've produced such an amazingly consistent show, despite the subject matter. I mean, I don't want to go too much into spoiling it, but it is phenomenal how well they've done that. Yeah, to, I mean... As a very brief thing, number one, it's probably the best comic book show ever made. Um, but I hate using that term comic book show because you're going to expect a certain thing from it that you're not going to get in the show. Sure. There are, there are no costumes. You know, nobody has a superhero costume. Um, it's, it's, there's no superheroes. Um, it's really, it's about some, the, to put it at a more basic core, it's about somebody who has has powers that is quite mentally ill. And yeah, and and it's it, I guess the 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 thought it, I forget there there was a subreddit and I was planning on sending that to you at some point um taking things like TV shows and movies and books and and distilling them down to one sentence. Um and and I feel like with Legion for me it's it's you know, a man placed into an institution that slowly drives him crazy <laughs> um, is, is, I guess, the, the synopsis, at least for the very beginning. Um, you know, obviously, because of who he is and what, what's been happening to him, his, his mental illness has gotten more pronounced. But, yeah, ah, I'm, I'm trying not to spoil things. Okay, I, well, I guess yeah, I'll leave I, it at that. And I would say that that's the impression you get from the first two episodes, but yeah. that may not even be the truth. Sure. Because the beauty of this show is that mental illness 
in some way bleeds into your understanding. So as you go through this show, you're watching something unravel, but as you're watching it unravel, it becomes something else. And then as it unravels, it becomes something else. So, I, I, I mean, the show is not even over yet. This is something that's being aired now. There's only five episodes out so far, or four. Um, it's on FX. Uh, so if you have cable, you can go check that out. If you don't, you can probably buy the episodes on iTunes. And if you really want to wait, I'm sure it'll come to streaming. But I would say if any of the things that we've said here interest you, go find it now. Don't wait. It's, and also, it's, also don't be afraid because I know a lot of people had uh, uh, this problem with the um, the Netflix incarnations of Jessica Jones and Daredevil um, and Luke Cage. Um, you don't have to know anything about the character of Legion or the universe in which he lives in the comic books to to appreciate the show for what it is. Right. Um, like Chad, like Chad said, and and I will echo vehemently, this is just a great show. Um, does not matter whether you have any concept of what they're talking about at all uh, when it comes to the comic book universe that Legion exists in. This is just a fantastic show. Right. I mean, in, in all honesty, it, it's completely divorced from the rest of the Marvel Universe. Um, sure. There's no references to other characters at all. Like, none. Um, so basically, for those who don't know, Legion is a character in the Marvel Universe, and he's the illegitimate son of Charles Xavier, Professor X from the X-Men. But guess what? In this TV show, that's never mentioned. Charles Xavier's never mentioned. The X-Men is never mentioned. Nothing. All you know is there's a guy, he has powers, and he's mentally ill. That's yeah. it. There is no reference to anything else. It lives completely independently. And I think that's the genius of it. Um, plus, the acting is fantastic. Oh, the Dan performances Stevens, are great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dan Stevens is he's the main character. Um, he plays David, a.k.a. Legion, um, although they never call him Legion in the show, by the way. Yeah. Uh, uh, but he's, he's fantastic. I mean, most people, when you watch this show, you wouldn't know that he's British because he has the best American accent. <laughs> uh, by the way, like I, I should probably I, I know I've told you this, Lamb, but this is kind of funny. I started watching this show. And I watched the first episode, and I went away for like a week because, you know, the second episode wasn't out. And I randomly started watching Downton Abbey and watched a couple episodes of that. And I was like, oh, this is a pretty good show. And then I, about a week later, after starting Legion, I'm like, oh, I should go watch that episode of Legion. I finished an episode of Downton Abbey, clicked over to FX, hit play on the Legion. And as the intro was starting, all of a sudden I realized, oh, my God. The same guys in both of these shows that I just started. Yeah. Dan Stevens was on Downton Abbey. He's also in the new Beauty and the Beast movie. He's the Beast. So he's having a a bit of a peak right now. And how, how broad of a spectrum of characters is that? <laughs> right? You're talking, you know, like the most... Uh, he's the most composed and honorable... English gentleman on Downton Abbey. Then he's mentally insane in this, and now he's the Beast in yeah, let's, a Disney movie. Yeah, let's let's not forget that he's he's mentally insane and has almost limitless superpowers. Um, and and okay. now can that it, it poses such an interesting question, and that's part of the reason why I like Legion so much, uh, both in the comic book as well as the show is. 
you know, we always think of these these um, superheroes like Thor, Iron Man as being like these pillars of society and being totally stable. <laughs> you know what I mean? But can you imagine taking that much power? Like, imagine if 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 Thor was all of a sudden just just bipolar. Can you imagine how incredibly dangerous that would be to the world? <laughs> and that's that's some of the best comic books that were ever written. Were people who asked that question, like, what if Superman got too powerful? And there was a whole thing about that where Superman kind of becomes a dictator almost. Yeah, did you see did you read any of that, the Injustice series? No, I didn't oh, actually. You've got to see of all the people in the world who need to read it, it's you are basically top of that list. You, it was you touched on briefly that in that Justice League cartoon. They had the Justice Lords thing for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that that's that's I mean this is this is going back to, I know we've gone on some tangents, but that's what these episodes are. These middle-of-the-month episodes are kind of tangents because this is stuff we don't get to talk about in our more focused episodes. Um, but one of the things that's so important about creativity is looking at the way things are, and this even goes back to what we were talking about with tools. Ask questions. Ask the right questions. You know, you look at Superman, and okay, all, every story with Superman's been done, and then somebody goes, what if Superman got too powerful? All of a sudden, Actually, you have something new. In in this particular case, what if Superman lost everything and had nothing to lose? <laughs> Isn't you that know, like uh, the the Flashpoint thing too? Like, what happens if the Flash died and and everybody lost their mind? Speaking of 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 asking the right questions, something that I saw last week that I think everyone needs to see um it, it, unfortunately it's not like legion in that you have to kind of understand a little bit about the universe to really appreciate the poignancy um and and just the the, the beauty of the story itself you, you, logan is probably now officially my favorite comic book movie i just i think it was the back to work guys i think uh one of them said the same thing They're like it is the best comic book movie ever made which is it's, to be honest, that's, it's a little bit shocking in the sense that, um, you know, we've been looking at what Joss Whedon and, and all the Avengers stuff and all the Avenger-related stuff uh, as the strongest strain of, of comic book films out there. And the X-Men thing kind of was falling in the background. It's cool to hear that they stepped up. I mean, between Legion and, and Logan, I guess, right? You know, you know what the real difference is, and 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 the reason why I think Mangle did such a great job with Logan, um, is that you know if you look at the the the, the MCU um, and you look at the Avengers storyline leading up to the Infinity War, there's still a very grandiose comic booky feel about it, um, and it, which isn't bad. I mean, it's the mainstream comic books that you would expect. You know, the the hero story and the hero's journey and all that kind of stuff. The the you know invitation into the adventure and then the point of no return, like all the stuff that 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 you expect from from that kind of, of, of staged story arc, you know what I mean? Um, but Logan is is a departure in the same way that Vertigo was a departure from DC, in that this is a story that has, that focuses so squarely on the effects of um, what being a superhero would actually be like. And, you know, it's, it's funny because in the universe in which Logan exists, um, the X-Men were... were idolized by society and so you know the comic books actually existed in in that universe you know and and i i thought that one of the the coolest things that they did in the movie was having hugh jackman as wolverine um kind of rip on the comic books and I, I, the line i think was 
Um, you know, maybe a quarter of this actually happened and none of it happened like this. Um, just to show how much um, people had dramatized and, and, and kind of romanticized the adventures that they had gone on. You know, he, he's the guy that had to actually go through it. He, he had to lose friends. He had to, to, to make horrible choices um, that, that forced him into to the broken state that he was by the time Logan begins as a movie. And it's the same thing as, as Legion in a lot of ways. Like, you know, there's no, um, there's no, there's no costumes. There's no, um, arch supervillain per se. Um, it's just a bunch of people with powers trying to cope with life. And the way in which they did it was just, it's one of the most gut wrenching movies. Like I went with Crystal who is not really, I mean, she knows a little bit about comic books, but not nearly to the extent that us, us nerds do. Um, and she left that movie thinking that that was by far the best comic book movie she had ever seen because she didn't have to know anything about comic books to really appreciate the type of journey that the characters had to go through to get to where they did. And it's, if you, if you haven't seen Logan, you got to go see Logan. I, I have friends that have seen it like four times now, um, just because it's that good. It's kind of incredible to me, the level of storytelling that's just going on. You know, for a while we were talking about, um, we as in everybody, we we're talking about the golden age of television how television had just come alive. But I feel like uh, we're starting to see some of that come into the cinematic world as well, in the sense that uh, for a while, movies were good, but they weren't great. Um, there wasn't this... There wasn't as much love put into them, unless uh, aside from like indie films and things like that. But I mean like our blockbusters. You know, our blockbusters were empty. There was no heart to them. There was the the maudlin attempt at heart. Um, so maybe that goes back to the question thing too. Somebody asked the right questions. Sure. And I mean to 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 echo your sentiment pretty strongly. That's something that I had a conversation with with one of my friends recently. Is um, you know they it's it's time now that that movies got more brave. Um, it's time that they told deeper and darker stories. And I think that Logan is such a great example of that. Um, it proves that people not only can handle more, but want more from, from their superhero movies and just movies in general. Um, they're, they're okay with subtlety. They're okay with, with diving deep into a person's narrative character. Like, you know, the, the, the stories that define them, the, 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 the circumstances that create them, and then the, the reaction that they have to those things. Um, and in particular with Logan, the reason why I liked it so much is, you know, Pref Professor Charles Xavier is almost an avatar. Uh, Wolverine, um, you know, in his own right is the same when it, when it comes to both the movies as well as the comic books. You know, they cease to become people and, and, and they become these caricatures that, that have such defined characteristics that we never really see them as human. Well, this movie, Logan completely flips that on its head. And we get to see them struggle, not only with the lives that they've had to live um, because of the choices they've made, um, but also coping with their powers as they age. Um, and it is, it is just, a, I, I'm not going to gush about it anymore, but I'm just going to say now that if you haven't seen Logan, even if you're not a huge comic book fan, um, go see it because it is, it is just a fantastic movie. And I think that one of the things that really comes to mind to me right now when we're talking about this is why is why is why is all this happening you know why are we seeing this surge uh, and i think what it is is we're seeing people who we're seeing creators who were consumers before they were looking at things that weren't done right you know like comic book movies used to suck like oh, yeah. awful 
awful, awful movies. I mean, go back and watch the old Captain America movie from like 1983 or something. It is awful. And um, these are the people that are creating these things now are people that grew up with these things. And they, and we're not just talking about comic books here, but just anything, you know, they're watching TV. They, they remember what TV could do or they saw what TV can do. And this is the power that you have as a creator. When you see something in the world that's not the way you want it, you have the power to bring that into the world, to create it. And what happens? The industry changes. Why is the industry changing? Because people like Joss Whedon, um, people who had different questions, people who were disruptors, made it to the top of the pile. How did they make it to the top of the pile? By starting at the bottom. You know, like, and this isn't this isn't where he started, but, like, Firefly failed. They only got one season out of that. They got dropped. Um, was it a failure to him? No, he, could, he made a great show that is full of huge fans right now. But he kept making things. He kept putting things out. He kept doing things, and he kept moving up and moving up and moving up. And what happens there is his creativity became a commodity. And his his creativity became something where people with money said, well, if we let him do what he wants, we make more money. So maybe we should keep our opinions out of this. So all of that producer over control of movies and film is going away because what is what the people with money are realizing is we don't know what we're doing. These guys who are creative do. And when we let the people who are creative do what they do best, we make more money. That's the, the other power you have. The other side of that, too, is some of those people are actually now just becoming the powerhouses in Hollywood that produce the projects that they feel like greenlighting. Um, right. you know, if you look at a guy like Joss Whedon, for example, I mean, he's a good example, but the two guys that stand out in my head are Kevin Feige, who, if you, if you don't know who Kevin Feige is, he's basically responsible for the entire Marvel the Cinematic Universe um, and the, the, the monstrous 15-year arc that it's going to take by the time it's done. And if you if you want to see a person who truly truly loves what he does, go and find any interview ever um, um, with Kevin Feige talking about the the crafting of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, or if you want the, the a, a very similar um, a very similar a, a very similar feel in a guy who has pretty much limitless power in Hollywood now, look at J.J. Abrams and 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 see how he's captaining. Uh, both the Star Wars and the Star Trek franchises at the same time. So for all you, you fanboys out there who, who want to say one is better than the other, the same guys run in both, guys. So it, it, there's, there's, room in, there's room in the pool for everybody. Um, but if you want to see how much care and how much love goes into these things, just, see, just go and, and, and search out an interview on YouTube for either of those guys concerning either of these properties, and you'll see how much that love really matters. Or even somebody like Guillermo del Toro. I mean, what was he? He was just a, a super nerdy dude, and he got to make some cheesy, um, you know, some cheesy films when he started. All of a sudden, boom, makes this. He makes this. He's, why did he make Hellboy? He made Hellboy because he loved Hellboy, yeah. not because he thought the world wanted to see it. Now he gets to produce other people's stuff. Uh, so, I mean, the point here is not, to, is not the power thing, obviously, but this is about creativity. It's about the power we have to change the world. And not just the creative world, you have the power to change the world. You know, like as as Gandhi said, be the change in the world that you wish to see. Mm. And I don't know, like 
I just I feel like this episode we've gone a lot of places, but I want to bring it back home and tell you, go out there and make stuff, guys. Um, Lamb, what advice do you have? I mean, if you look at guys like J.J. Abrams and, and, and Kevin Feige and the rest of these guys, I mean, basically everything they did just got progressively bigger. Um, but they had to start with that one small thing and then go to a slightly bigger thing and a slightly bigger thing and a slightly bigger thing. And if you look at the, the filmographies of these guys, the one thing that you'll notice is that they're just absolutely relentless. Um, and, you know, almost for every every person that we've talked about on, on the, the main um, versions of the podcast – you know, any one of them could have thrown in the towel at any point and said, ah, this is too hard. I can't do it. There's no way that I'll, I'll get to where I need to get to in any reasonable amount of time. Um, or even the, the, the subject of our upcoming um, episode, which is Frida Kahlo. She, once you, once we get to that episode, you'll understand this better. But there are very few artists in the history of art who have had as many obstacles in their lives to producing art as a, as a woman like Frida Kahlo. And she still did it. So if, if she can still do it, um, given what her story looks like, um, there's no excuse for anybody else. And, and it's not, that's not a calling out per se. It's, it's a reminder that everything has to start somewhere. Everything has to start with one thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. And the key to becoming successful as an artist is just never stopping, never finding a point in which you're satisfied with it and say, this is as good as I'm ever going to be. So I guess for me, you know, and sometimes don't get me wrong. Like there, there are moments where you have to take a break with it. Like with photography, for example, um, I took almost a four-year hiatus from photography because I was burnt out on what I was doing, and I felt like my my perspective wasn't fresh anymore. So I went and dove into uh, my writing much more severely. Um, and so, you know, for me, it wasn't just about producing in a particular medium, um, but it was about producing in general. And I think that that ultimately, you know, if you look at a guy like J.J. Abrams, for example, that ultimately to me is the lesson, you know, whether he is writing, producing, or directing, which by the way, are all very, very different things. Um, if you understand the process of movie making, he never really stopped, but it didn't mean that he always did the same thing. It just always meant that he was doing something. And I think for me that that's the lesson. You know, whether it's writing or photography or, or, or music or, or whatever it may be with me, I always want to be doing something. Right. I think the only way to achieve anything, if you look at, I wouldn't even say specific creators, you look at any successful creator, business owner, um, you look at, from Elon Musk to Steve Jobs to Frida Kahlo to Vincent Van Gogh. The reason they did what they did is because they wouldn't let themselves stop. It's that, yeah. it's that simple. I tried this. It didn't work. I tried it this way. It didn't work. I tried it this way. It didn't work. Uh, going back to the Thomas Edison thing, you know, like 9,900 different ways not to make a light bulb. Boom. Now I have the way to make the light bulb. Keep going back. And I actually had this written down as something that I wanted to mention, this thought that I had this week is the greatest fear we all have as creators is that we will suck. But have you ever asked yourself, what happens if you do suck? What happens? Guess what? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happens if you suck. You don't get sucked up into a vortex. <laughs> they don't take away your paintbrush. You can still keep making if you suck. And guess what happens? If you suck long enough, you suck less. Unless there's there's nothing that happens. There's no reason. What? Why are we afraid of sucking? 
I, I don't know. Why are we afraid of it? Nothing happens. And, and to, to echo your point, too, there are some people who are really successful who have always sucked. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There's, there's, you're not going to be, you know, there's, there's no club that you're applying for. If you suck, you suck. So what? Suck. Yeah, suck and, harder. And the, and the other side of that, too, which I think is, is you know, because I think, I think certain artists, like I know I, I'm snobby to a certain point when it comes to certain things. But, you know, if you, if you produce things like, you know, Michael Crichton, for example, or, or Tom Clancy, perfectly good writers for certain people. You know what I mean? And so I think that that's something to keep in your mind as well as a creator is that it's not necessarily just producing the best work that you can. I mean, don't get me wrong. That should always be a goal to a certain extent. But I think more importantly, and I think this is where I'm struggling with my own photography lately, is who is it for? You know, who who are you trying to reach? And when you reach them, are you reaching them the way you want to reach them? And if that if you're achieving those things, it doesn't matter whether you suck or not. You're you're successful, and and that I think is way more important than whether or not you think your 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 particular artistic endeavor is to the quality that you want it. Did you reach somebody? Did you change them? Did you inspire them? And if you did, who cares? <laughs> right. I mean, just I mean, look at this podcast. We started doing this podcast for us. And now we've had, I mean, we have hundreds of listeners. People out there are getting something from this. That's great. But you know what? When we started, we sucked. We, we, <laughs> there, there can I, be an argument made that we still kind of sucked. You know? Exactly. But, I mean, like, if, you, if you happen to think we suck right now, number one, you probably haven't made us this far into the episode if you do. Um, but you should have heard where we started, man. Like, we, the sound was awful. We didn't, I mean, our sound is not amazing now because I just don't want to spend hours EQing things. Um, it's not that, it's not that important. It's more important what we're saying. Um, but it doesn't matter. You know, like, first of all, just because, you know, nine, 90 people out of 100 think you suck at something. If you made something that you like and you're into, there's going to be other people that are like that are into it that like it as well. And if there aren't, guess what? You still spent time doing something that you like. And that's never ever going to be a waste of time. Yeah, and our, the the fact that our listenership has grown the way it has is pretty surprising. I mean, it still shocks me. I know it shouldn't by now, but you know, it, it, I remember when we would have seven listeners an episode, you know? yeah, or, or twenty or fifty, and then we were shocked when we first broke a hundred, and now we've got a Murakami episode that's over a thousand, and that's that's just mind-boggling to me. So that means that yep. you know whether or not we're doing something right or not is irrelevant. I, I'm, I've now stopped asking that question because as long as as Chad and I enjoy it, I, I think it will always be right. Um, but the lesson learned, um, and I guess the lesson that gets echoed through the people we've talked about in this episode and, and just art in general is that we just never stopped. <laughs> yeah. And just by, by sheer force of will and, and determination, we've just progressively grown larger and larger and larger. And we've gotten better and better at this because we weren't afraid to be crappy. Oh, yeah. We, and we were crappy, trust me. And you guys look... <laughs> You'll you'll look and you'll see this is episode nine. This is technically not really episode nine. This is episode nine of the new format. There yeah. was about I would say at least twenty episodes yeah, before I was, this. I was, yeah, I was gonna guess we're probably scraping the thirty mark by now. Yep, we've been doing this for over a year, and um, if you think that we're bad, you should have heard us before. But it doesn't matter. Like Lamb said, 
we're here to have fun. We're here to um, hopefully inspire each other and hopefully inspire at least one or two of you to go out and do something. And uh, from our two comments, we have two people so far, so that's cool. Um, there were so many other things I wanted to talk about in this episode, but we're already at uh, 103 minutes. So we're going to cut this short. But before we do, first of all, let me check with Lamb. Lamb, do you have anything you want to say before we close out? Uh, I think we we did pretty definitive work this time for us. <laughs> okay. Um, so I just want to end this episode. Number one, thank you to all of you listening. We appreciate your time. Um, hopefully you get some value out of your time. That's really important to us. Um, if you do get value out of these episodes, I'm just going to repeat it again. Please, please. Please take a little bit of time. We're not asking for money. <laughs> Just go into iTunes, rate and review us. Um, it's, you know, podcasters say all the time, oh, it'll help this show out a lot. What does that mean? Okay, so basically think of it like this. When we get reviews, we move up in the charts. When we move up into the charts, we might make it in the top 150 of all the podcasts. We make it in the top 150 of all the podcasts. We get more viewers. We get more viewers. As the viewership goes up, we have the opportunity to reach more people. And as we see that op- that opportunity go up, number then we start getting s- sponsors, right? So that we don't have to ask you guys to pay us to do this show. We're doing it for fun. We're doing it for ourselves, right? But when we get to that point, we can start doing this maybe weekly instead of twice a month. Who knows what the possibilities are? You know, like if... If we're connecting with people, then that that'd be great. But the reason that we want the show to get to more people is because our mission is not to get sponsors. Those would be great. Our mission is to help people. And and from our broader perspective too, for for me, the the more people we're able to 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 get we can start reaching out to some of these heroes that we have, some of these people we do these episodes on and potentially get interviews with some of them. So you can hear it straight from the horse's mouth. And and sure, I, I find these episodes to be useful just from a creative process perspective in general, but imagine if if we actually have a conversation with Neil Gaiman and, 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 and find out from him the, the nitty-gritty, the, the, the important things that define from artist to artist, um, you know, what it really takes to, to, to keep that fresh perspective or keep pushing forward as an artist. So I'm going to stop harping on this and just say, please, we would appreciate it. Either way, we will be back in two weeks.